Hi everyone, Alon here, and we're here for another episode of Pressure Point. I'm really excited. We've got Dr. Frank McGregor here from Gibbs Business School. Um, he's a professor there, but he wears many hats, as you'll see today, and really excited to dig into this conversation where we're going to explore resilience as a superpower. So with that, Dr. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. So fantastic to be here, and you know, I really love your intro. The idea of wearing so many hands, <laughs> talking about resilience and how doing many things can at times feel quite stressful. So I'm really looking forward to unpacking kind of what drives resilience and how does it help us during times when perhaps we found ourselves with low mental health. Yeah, I, I think that's actually an interesting place to start, maybe a not obvious place to start, is that uh, we're talking earlier and people put so much pressure on themselves to be resilient. And in some cases, you become, I don't know, the victim of your own success right? because you just take on too much. And I think part of resilience was actually learning to say no, right? And balancing what's, you know, in front of you versus trying to do everything. So do you mind just explaining that a bit to the to I really love that concept. You know, a lot of academics, um, perhaps for the last decade or so, you know, started looking at what they call the dark side of resilience. And it really talks to, what you've just said, you know, the idea that here is someone who's juggling so many balls and because they generally believes that they are resilient, what do they do? They never become vulnerable. They never cry or ask for help because then they see it as a sign of weakness. That's one of the uh, elements and that's for them as an individual. And of course, someone might say, okay, you know, if it's for them as an individual, they feel they're going strong, doesn't matter. But what it also manifests as is seeing other people's struggles, other people's stresses or challenges or broadly adversity is really, what is this? Look at what I have gone through, you know, kind of myself. I've gone through something bigger, kind of, you know, kind of get over it. So I find that it's very important kind of to pause just as an individual and just say, yes, I know I'm, res I'm resilient. I know it's a skill, you know, of overcoming adversity. But there are times when it is okay to reach out to a mentor, to reach out to a coach, to reach out to another person and just say, you know, I'm feeling it's a little bit too much. Kind of help me think through it. And that's part after being resilient. Yeah, so I love that. I think it's so important and not talked about enough, right, is that the key to being resilient is also being vulnerable. Right? Absolutely. I think that's really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. I think... Um, you know, I maybe want to take a bit of a step back before we get talking to resilience in more detail um, and just giving our listeners a bit more insight into your background, into your story, and we'll, we'll go forward from there. I love sharing my story because I decided a bit of a chuckle there because I'm one of those persons who didn't know the word resilience. And I gave a talk. Um, let me tell you how it happened, Alan. I gave a talk in... Uh, 2011 at momentum so picture this i'm ceo or no i'm coo at the time of um, uh, momentum wealth and we've got a number of call centers in our business and those moments where you just want to give your troops you know kind of people in your team that are guys let's do what we can we can overcome the problem we're an awesome company so that was kind of my context every quarter we used to do that i was sitting back and just saying to myself yo you know, our call center, 
the numbers are not good, just in terms of uh, low score rate, just in terms of, you know, client experience. Let me share my story of arriving in Jobek in 1992. And it was my first time. I briefly stayed with my aunt and she had her own struggles. And before I know it, uh, from November 92, January 93, I'm homeless. She can't look after me. I call Park Station home for most of the time. And so I shared a little bit of this story and just said to uh, my team at that time that, guys, I know what it means to often find yourself doing what you don't want to do. I beat the odds, escaped homelessness through selling fruit and vegetables. And I was homeless for about 28 weeks and I showed them this picture uh, of me sitting on the corner of plane in Wanderers with my fruit and veggies. And after that talk, somebody comes and says, you are, you are resilient. And so I learned this concept. And honestly, when I look back in my life, I can certainly say some of the obstacles that I overcame being broke, being homeless, being unemployed for long stretches of time, I can certainly look back, even though I didn't know kind of the word resilient and that I'm resilient, I can trace it back to that. And so in kind of an interesting way, I became a big advocate of resilience in the workplace, general resilience in, in, in life, I guess in professional and personal lives. And it's no surprise that when I did my PhD, you know, part of the work that I looked at was just digging deeper into what is resilience, what drives it, and how can we build it. So that's kind of how I got introduced to the concept around about probably 2015 in terms of learning about it, you know, when I started my doctoral journey, but 2011, in terms of someone saying to me, you were resilient. I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, firstly, thank you for sharing your story. I think it's you know, really inspirational and appreciate you being vulnerable and honest with that story. And I think you know, you've got that lived experience of resilience, right? And I mean, if we go back to that time, if you think back and I know, you know, the concept now as a, you know, academic, yes. But you're in a unique position where you've got the lived experience. Yes. What are some of those traits, some of those things that kept you motivated and, you know, enabled you to persevere and be resilient through those tough times? You know, when I look back, firstly, I am so grateful. And you'll come back to gratitude is one of the core elements of building resilience, what we need to. Why do I start by saying I'm so grateful? When I look back today as someone who studies resilience, who writes about resilience and who spends time with homeless people in and around Johannesburg and realizing I was one of them and taking a step back and saying to myself, my goodness, it's so interesting that I didn't end up with very low mental health or even mental illness alone. In other words, you know, falling into depression, for example, it's quite hard, you know, on the street. So that's one thing that I'm grateful for. And I think with what I know now, I attribute that to perhaps my high levels of resilience. I thought it's a good point to start there because I really look back and say to myself, I'm grateful because it was tough. I was hungry. I was struggling just to make ends meet. Sometimes I just found myself down. But it wasn't that down with what I know about depression that I could say, you know, I was depressed, right? And so what did that period teach me? I think it taught me a couple of things that we can link to resilience. I think the first one is on the streets, there's a lot of mental illness. And I didn't know at the time that, you know, we talk about mental health as a continuum. 
to say each one of us can dip into periods of low mental health when things are a little bit too much. You know, a lot of stress, I'm a little bit anxious, things are not going well, maybe I got retained, maybe I lost my job, maybe I'm grieving. All those can find us at a point where we are at low mental health and perhaps if we don't get intervention, you know, that can deteriorate further and we find ourselves, you know, kind of clinically, you know, diagnosed with kind of a mental illness, right? So when I think about the time being homeless, and I look at some of the things that I saw among other homeless people, definitely, and the homeless people I meet now as I do my research on resilience, I can see a challenge of, um, of, of, of mental illness and low mental health there, right? And I go back to how come I never got there? I never got that low. I had my frustration. I had my anger. I had my negative emotions. I had my blaming myself and others. And so when I look back, I think for me three things that directly speak to resilience protected me. The first one, gratitude. You know, I became homeless. I even remember the day, Sunday, 3 January 1993, when my aunt says, I can look after you, make a plan. And the plan was kind of move on, you know, from a flat at Corner Plain and Wanderers. And so began a life of being homeless. At the beginning, I was eager, thinking I would overcome it quickly. By about April, I realized this is tough. I don't know really how I can overcome it. And so became a daily practice of gratitude. What do I mean by that? I mean this. I would wake up knowing it's dangerous on the streets of Joburg. So just to be alive, I'll say, I'm grateful, I'm alive. Nothing untoward happened to me during the evening. There's one example of practicing gratitude. How does one survive on the streets? You survive by finding food in funny places. Sometimes... Just going and grabbing leftovers from plates at a fish and chip shop that they haven't cleared away. Another, finding bottles to recycle. Those days, get a little bit of money by quarter brown bread. And I'll just say, I'm grateful I found something to eat. Right, that's another example. Let me give you a last example. In about May of 1993, Johannesburg is cold. We're battling with homelessness. We're just grateful for two weeks that you could sleep in the toilets at Carlton Center. So when I talk about gratitude, I've seen it in my own life. And certainly a key element that builds resilience, just be grateful for what you have. It doesn't mean the problems go away, but it gives you perspective that there's still some good, some positive things going on in your life. The other two quickly are the following. Self-awareness. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't know how to overcome homelessness. Who is going to help me? Society doesn't care. I'm invisible. No one greets me. People think I'm a uh, uh, you know, criminal. People think I'm uneducated. There's so much stereotype. And just saying to myself, I'm angry, but this is not going to help me. Which brings me to my third part. The idea of, you are angry, what are you going to do about it? We call that emotional regulation, self-regulation, self-management in resilient research. Then what I say to myself, friend, Get over it. Being angry at society is not going to help you. But do you see the link between I am angry or I am ashamed? I'm going to do something about it. And so for me, gratitude, self-awareness, and this idea of self-management of emotions and behaviors and even thoughts have been so central in my practice of building the muscle of resilience. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it's you know, amazing that like under those circumstances, you, you were able to focus on those positives and focus that anger on changing the circumstance versus being a victim 
of your circumstances. Absolutely. Really incredible. And, you, you know, obviously you, you got out of that position. Yes. And you're, it, you know, you, uh, you went on to study ATSA. Yes. Yeah. Why are you that? I mean, how did, how did that happen? I mean, I, Goodness. yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to say to my students, yeah. I'm a failed actor. Uh, so am I. So, <laughs> so, so don't worry. So, yeah. There am I. <laughs> I get to vets. So let me tell you, so through selling fruit and veggies, let's close the loop for our listeners. So <clears throat> I'm homeless for seven months. Right at the beginning of about July 1993, I'm standing at the corner of Small and Plain Street, and I'm just waiting to grab food at a restaurant, fish and chips shop. That's busy in the morning, and before they clean, take plates away, I can grab something to eat. And this lady says, excuse me, excuse me, can I talk to you? And she draws my attention. She said, I'm talking to you. She said, tell me about yourself because I see. By then, I don't, I'd gone seven months wearing the same clothes. Seven months without bathing. So you can picture somebody like that. I was really in a bad shape. And so I tell her about my story, the idea of being vulnerable, where we started today. And she said, I'm going to help me. I'm going to help you. Help me pack fruit and veggies, right? And then you push the trolley for me in the evening, carry it up to my flat because the lift doesn't work and I'll see how I can thank you. But three to four weeks of helping with that, I managed to sell 50 rands. And that's what I used to buy my first stock of selling fruit and veggies. Fast forward that, I'm doing well. I've got a place to stay. I'm selling fruit and veggies. I come across a lady at the Johannesburg Public Library, Mrs. Zimmerman. And she again asked me, I see you often at the library. Tell me about yourself. And I narrate my story. And then in there, I mentioned it being math. She says, stop. You need to study. Go to Bramfontein. There's Vets University. You need to ask them what you can study. So I make my way to Vets. I get to sit at the house at Vets. And I say, I've got a good grade in Vets. Uh-huh. They say I must study. And the lady looks at me. And then she says, just take three steps back and walk out on the right. Read the poster. That's what you must study. I look at this thing. It's got integration science, it's got percentages, and it says, are you good at numbers? Maybe career experience saying this for you. And off I registered for Chilo Science 1994. Axai 101, State 101, and all those are your boy. Did I see flames? <laughs> it was so hard. I couldn't. And I think perhaps then go to kind of the resilience from uh, you know having experienced challenges of homelessness. I think I'll go to a point where I had attempted to qualify as an actuary, got my degree, and I just couldn't pass the exams. And so I just said one day, you know, I never knew about the of science until I got to Senate House. <laughs> so guess what? No, I'm going to move on. It's too hard for me. And kind of just accepting that maybe I could do other things and without kind of feeling that shame that, uh, you know, I haven't achieved this thing that I had set out. And, and so kind of I moved away, had to deal a little bit with friends asking, how is it going with Adal? <laughs> but after that, yeah, I mean, I was kind of okay with yeah, well, the choice that I made, yeah. I think things have got a way of working out. I have wasted I ended up <laughs> as the CEO of Woodmanton, so. <laughs> it did not work. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's an important lesson though. And I mean, people, yeah. you know, you get fooled by sunk cost, right? Yeah. And, yes. you know, sometimes it's, you know, you make a decision at a point in time with information that yeah. you have. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you need to follow down that road if, you know, new information comes to light and you may at that point want to pivot, right? Or and choose a new career path. And you bring such an important point when we talk about resilience, what you just described, 
we call that mental agility. You know, mental agility is having that frame of mind that says, I'm failing, let me tell you practically what happened in 2000. I'm struggling with AXI, but I was good at specs and numbers. Let me do a master's in finance. So I switched, concluded a master's in finance, regained my kind of my confidence and my ability you know, to study. So mental agility is looking at a problem with a fresh lens, with, with, with a different perspective and saying, I am not a failure. I'm just failing outside. Perhaps it's too hard for me, but I'm good at other things. And that's kind of, although I didn't know kind of the language you are using today, that's kind of how I processed it and moved away. And so it reminds us that when we talk about resilience, we're really talking about this skill to overcome adversity, failure, grief, financial problems, health scares. It doesn't have to be things, you know, like unemployment, retrenchment, homelessness. And so we need this skill because how many of us can honestly say they run their lives without failing at something or without making a mistake? And recovering and owning up to a mistake needs resilience. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, again, very powerful, very practical example. Not always easy, though, when you're in those situations, right? To take that step back. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, both from a practical and a theoretical perspective, if people find themselves in those positions, how do you get that perspective? How do you take that step back? You know, for me, I spent a lot of time thinking and doing a lot of sessions on resilience, just kind of helping people demystify it. And, and like what we're doing, saying there's evidence-based strategy. These are all signs of resilience, right? And we've talked about some of its components now, self-awareness. Self-regulation, just managing my thoughts and emotions, mental agility, in other words, reframing, reframing problems. We spoke about um, gratitude as an example, right? And so for me, how do we get people kind of to practice these kind of obvious things that someone say, ah, oh, but I know about it. I think for me, the starting point, if you were to ask me, Ellen, if I were to say to someone, one thing we need to do to build resilience right, and deal with stressors that we find in society today, I would say start with self-awareness. The idea of being in tune, how am I thinking now? Let me give you a practical example. There I'm sitting at the bench at Jobet Park, Jobet Park, Jobek CBD, I'm homeless. I'm sitting there and saying to myself, you know, before I go to Jobek, I had a job in Bloemfontein and I left that job because I just felt I would get a bigger job in Jobek and I arrived, I got homeless in Jobek. And I would blame myself saying, if I hadn't left Bloemfontein, I wouldn't be homeless, right? And I would be angry, I would be frustrating, I would be judging myself harshly. For some reason, I was able to pause and say, okay, so where is this going to take you? You're here already. Whether you regret coming to Jobek or not, it's not going to change, you know, the fact that you're homeless. But do you see how I was able to capture negative thought that this is not taking me anyway? And so that skill of constantly trying to be in tune with what am I thinking now? Is it positive? Is it negative? What can I do about it? How am I feeling? Am I angry? Am I excited? And why? It sounds so simple, but if you think about our day to day with such busyness, we often are not in tune with our thoughts and particular our emotions. And also, even when we're in tune with our emotions, there's also a whole, I almost think of it as training or socialization that says, suppress them, ignore emotion, don't express them. 
which is very bad for building resilience in our mental health. Yeah, I think it's so important. Like you, you, you felt those feelings, right? You didn't suppress them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you were vulnerable, but you didn't, I guess, let them consume you. Yes. Right. And I think that's that, that, that line, right? How do you feel them? How do you acknowledge them? And how do you try and turn around that, that situational focus on moving forward versus just dwelling on, on what's happened? And I think for me, and hence, you know, when we were chatting earlier, I was saying to me when I think of resilience, I almost think of it as the superpower because it's got so many components. Let me touch on one that you may be surprised. On the streets of Joburg, Ellen, there is amazing camaraderie. Think about it. All these people are homeless. They are united by one thing. We want to overcome homelessness. No one wants to be homeless. It's tough. Yeah. Everyone is homeless because something profound happened. That's why they find them homeless, right? And so there was this talking about, what are you doing about it? Did you find food today? Can we share? Where's a homeless shelter? Where can we go and get soup? And, and, and there was those discussions. Let me tell you what I realized today. When I look back at that, it's this, and, and, and resilient research supports that. In addition to self-awareness, the second for me, in my own experience, and some research also alludes to that, um, big drive of resilience, it's social support. Interesting. No man is an island. So in other words, think about it. I'm homeless. I'm angry at these normal people. They're not giving us food. They're not greeting us. They are charging us. Who do I say it to? To my other homeless people. These crazy people. They think they are better than us. And we would lash, we would talk. Oh, it's off my chest. With someone who is in the same experience as me. Right? And so it doesn't consume you. You don't bottle it. You say, before it, I'm hungry. I couldn't even get anything to eat today. And then some say, oh, I've got a color pound bread. They open their little thing. They give you something to eat. Oh, you say... I'm missing my brother. I wonder what my nan is doing today. And someone says, don't worry. It's going to be okay. You will overcome this. So can you see, in, in the midst of homelessness, how social support can help build the muscle of resilience. But what does it start with? Where we started, vulnerability. I'm okay to share with my fellow homeless people, right, that I'm struggling. And so I would offer that each one of us, we really need to ask ourselves, how is our social support network? It's not about quantity, it's about quality. Are you watering your relationships? Are you weeding your relationship? Are you putting fake lies in manure so that they grow and you get a sense of, my goodness, I've got a few people in my life, they are in my corner. If I'm facing an obstacle, I call and they are there. And you know what research tells us? The thought that I've got social support matters more than just having it. If you just believe, you know what, if I'm in trouble, I can call alone and tell him I'm going through problems. That alone builds the muscle of resilience. That's amazing. The, the power of community. Absolutely. The power of community. Yeah. That's amazing. Maybe just to, I guess, focus the, the resilience conversation, maybe a slightly different setting is in the workplace, right? And I think part of the problem with you know, people who struggle in the workplace is that you, you don't pause. Yes. Because you're running so quickly, you're not self-aware. Yeah. 
or you're not being vulnerable. Correct. Um, and you're just focused on kind of moving forward or doing whatever it is that you need to do and you're not making time for community or, or social cohesion, a lot of the thinking ingredients yeah. that you mentioned. So, I mean, how do you apply that and how do you push pause in the yeah. context of, of the working environment? How challenging. Let me tell you a quick story. I was saying to you earlier that I will share this story. And so I was one of those people. Setting tough goals for myself, you know, and when I was younger, it was 5.35, I was born in Exco. Before 40, I want to be GM or CEO, you know, those tough targets. And driving and driving myself. And when I look back, I actually giggle and say, I ran my life on the basis that, you know, achieving these goals at the expense of anything. So my health was not central. There was no pause. There was no hobbies. There was no maintaining relationship with friend until it came all tumbling down. March 2016, CEO of Momentum Middle Market. I am struggling with my mental health. I don't even know. I'm just saying, in fact, let me not even do it mental health for now. I'm just feeling strange. I'm feeling funny. I'm not myself. I close the door in my study. I cry. No one understands me. They want me to do these targets in the office. I can't deliver them. This is impossible. They want me to retrench good people just because of short-term targets. I'm so consumed by frustration in the workplace. I try to verbalize to my boss. He's struggling to get it. So I'm in that space. One day I'm running, just a new 5K run. I broke down in tears. I get to the office. I tell my head of HR, you know, I cried when I was running a 5K. And she still thinks I'm joking. I said, no, I was serious. I explained to her what happened. She says, I think you must, you must speak to someone to our employee wellness provider. And she could see it in my eyes. I wasn't going to do it. I'm the CEO. Who does that? I'm strong. I just talked to you in confident about it. So she saw it in my eyes. She says, in fact, I'm going to arrange it. Never mind. Two o'clock, the person I'm sitting like we doing, she's in front of me. And she explained to me what happened. And I quickly explained what happened. Do you know what she said? She says, I think we are depressed. Now think about this. CEO. Black man, depression. I said, never. I can't, you know, I've gone through problems in my life. There is no way I can be depressed. Let me tell you, I was homeless. I was, I tell you some of the adversity I faced. You're wrong. She says, I don't think so. Let's get a second opinion. She picks up the phone because you're in bed shape. She phones Akiso Mental Health, uh, not Akiso, sorry. She phones a Vista Mental Health Clinic there in, in Centurion. She finds a psychiatrist. I've got someone who I want you to see. Do you have a gap? Four o'clock, same day. I'm in front of my psychiatrist, Dr. Squibb. Guess what? She confirms. Clinically depressed and burnout. Right? That chronic stress of work had led to burnout. That sense of, you know, ambivalent around work. I don't matter. There's gray in life. You know, you are unable to experience joy. A very bad space to be you know, from a mental perspective. And so for me, here's an outcome of not pausing. Here's an outcome of not being in tune. Here's also an outcome, Alan, of not asking any for help. When Dr. Scribble asked me, tell me how long has this been going on for? It was about eight months. Sure. Right? And so what am I saying? I'm saying in the workplace, we need perhaps three things. One, we need an understanding workplace. That says, Processes, structures, 
culture, values are so critical to creating a safe space where people can pause, reflect, and be vulnerable to say it's a little bit too much and share with a team leader, with a boss, or with an employment owners provide. So the corporate is a huge role in making that environment conducive. That's what I would offer as first thing. Then I would call to the individual, it's up to you. You are a little bit not yourself. Your thoughts, your emotions, you know your best self, you know that. It's important for you to be vulnerable, to get help early. Unlike my God, when I was in burnout and we had to be hospitalized, so it became a big thing, right? So the individual, please confined in someone, at the very least an employment wellness, an employee wellness provider, if you're not okay with talking to people at the office. That would be my second thing. The third thing I learned, perhaps even more important, the person who can play a key role is a line manager. You know, if you think about the workplace, the role a line manager plays in how are you? And you say, I'm fine. And they say, they push back. I don't want I'm fine. How are you? And you know, those conversations with water cooler, those conversations over coffee, to really get you, but really tell me, I don't want I'm fine. And out of that can come, well, I'm not really fine. And somebody confides. And that manager role modeling also, vulnerability is a direct manager. The combination of that, I think for me, will help destigmatize mental health in the workplace and will have more people just willing to say it's a little bit too much before they get to what I found myself in. Yeah, I think, I mean, so powerful. And again, thank you for, for sharing the story. I think, you know, such practical examples of how hopefully others, if they find themselves in those situations, can avoid them. And I think really? not only on the individual, right? And I think that self-awareness, again, yeah. is key, right? When you're not feeling okay, be vulnerable, reach out. Um, on organizations to create a safe culture and um, where there are these safe spaces for people to be vulnerable. Absolutely. There's support in place for yeah. individuals. And I guess for, for you know, this relationship between managers and employees to just be about exactly that, a relationship, right? Connect. We it shouldn't that. just be transactional. Correct. Yeah. Like, how are you doing? And actually listen to the, yeah. the question. It's something which is so easy to say. And often people right. say it. Yeah. They're saying it because they need to say yeah. it, not because they actually care about it. Yeah. But <laughs> Dr. Frank, I think thanks so much. This has been a oh, fantastic. super insightful conversation. I think combining the theory with, you know, so much lived experience, which is just so powerful. And really, I think the, the you know, the, the poster person of resilience and, and so, right over here. And thank you for inviting me. And for me, just in concluding, I just want to conclude by this. I was one of those people thinking, you know, when we think mental health, you're thinking illness, and it's taken a journey for me to learn. So I think to close off with resilience, the power, you know, of overcoming adversity can help with mental health. But more importantly, just expanding our understanding of mental health, that it's on a continuum. And so when you're really feeling a little bit funny, let's reach out for help early without thinking there's something wrong with me, they will hospitalize me, you know, if I lost my mind or anything. Anyone with a brain can have low mental health at some point, can have high mental health. Yeah, no, and that's all of us, by the way, we all have brains, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I think, no, it's no different to, you know, hurting your arm, right? And you would never, if you hurt your arm, you wouldn't not go to the doctor, yeah. right? So it's why I feel differently said. about your mental health. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks to everyone for, for joining sure you found that um, inspirational, insightful, I think many takeaways, uh, but 
to to name a few from a resilience perspective, I think the practice of gratitude, the importance of self-awareness, um, and the ability to just, you know, regulate your emotions. So it's important that you are vulnerable and you feel those emotions, but regulate and use those emotions in a positive way. And I think the importance of pausing and looking after yourself and prioritizing yourself and your loved ones and creating that, that safe work environment so much. I really love the conversation and hopefully we'll have Dr. Frank back and thanks everyone for joining.